All right. Well, I'm excited about the word uh, today. And uh, I want to start by just kind of framing our minds for what God has for us. Uh, when was the last time that you, that you took a bite of something and your first reaction after, mmm, was, I need some more of that, right? And, and, and you took some more of it and you enjoyed some more of it, right? So much so that you walked past it maybe once or twice or three times during the day and you thought, I need a little more of that, right? So that when you walked about later that day, you said, man, somebody's eating half the pan. Couldn't possibly be me. It was just so good. You lost track of how much you had had, but you still wanted a little more. Well, this morning, I want to talk to you about our church. I want to talk to you about your life, and I want to encourage you and share with you something you need more of. You need more of. I want to talk to you this morning about our foundation as Christians and how it is that we need more Jesus. Open your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. I want to read for us from verses 13 through 19. And these words that Jesus offers through Matthew's writing. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do you say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven heaven. May God bless the reading, the hearing, the understanding, and the obeying of his word today. The disciples are with Jesus in a region of Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi was a very important city in the first century. Uh, a lot of commerce, a lot of trade, just the center uh, of, of a very strong economic flow, if you will. And that, that brought a lot of different people from a lot of different places in and out of the city continually. But historians will tell you that Caesarea Philippi was most noted for this one thing. That it was a bastion of false religions and of idolatry. It was known as a center point for the worship of Baal. One of the most prolific false gods of the first century. And because of that, it was given to every sense and essence of immorality imaginable to our minds today. Because that was the practice of Baal worship. And it's in this setting that Jesus turns to his disciples and he says to them, Who do people say? That I am. He calls for them to report what they've heard about his identity, who it is that people think he is. 
And when he does this, he also is going to tell us that their answer will become indicative of what it means for the Father to reveal to Peter what he answers ultimately Jesus to say that he is the prophesied Messiah. And so right in the middle of of what you might call the core of the world's religions, Jesus presses his disciples to say, do not listen or look to the world. I want you to answer this. Who do you say that I am? And that's the question that we are posed with in this passage of Scripture. When Jesus asks what it is that people are saying about him, we see what the disciples respond with. Oh, well, you're Isaiah, or you're Elijah, or you're Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. You see, these were all what we would call high-profile, big-platform names. They are the people of days gone by that the current people thought very highly of because of their influence and because of the work that they had done. So what they were saying to Jesus in saying this is that they were giving him the highest compliment that they could fathom to give him. You're one of the greats. You, friend, are the man. Right? But that wasn't what Jesus was clamoring for. He wasn't looking for a compliment. And so he moves right to the heart of the question. Yes, yes, you've heard what the world says about me. But I want to ask you, who do you say that I am? He clarifies for the disciples the conviction of this truth. And it is the truth that he wants people to know and to believe and trust in him. You see, Jesus makes clear for us and of first importance to us that it's not about what the world says, but it is about what you, friend, believe about him. And that's where Jesus is leading us. So Peter answers him. He says, not only this is what everybody else has been saying, but here's what I would say. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so Jesus affirms Peter's answer, and he gives a greater explanation to it. He says this, Peter, you didn't know that because you had a good guess. You didn't say that because you've mastered all of the Bible lessons that you have been taught throughout your life. And you put all the pieces together, the puzzle fit, and that's what you came up with. Rather, you stated that because God revealed that to you. In other words... The reality of the truth that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, is not a determination that Peter or anyone else we will see could come to on their own. But rather, he he arrived at that point of conviction because God had revealed it to him directly. The first matter of importance, friends, is not just what you believe, but for the Christian life, it's not a matter of personal accomplishment or of personal achievement, but rather the matter of first importance is of revelation by God for faith in the God-man, Jesus Christ. And that's what Jesus magnifies in Peter's statement when he responds to him. You see, Peter confesses his faith. In other words, he confesses what it is that he deeply believes about Jesus so that he would put his faith and his trust fully in him. 
And then Jesus blesses Peter and he blesses him for his confession. But then he follows that confession by talking about the importance of it with an astounding statement. He says this, that on this confession, Jesus will build his church and he will pervade the kingdom of darkness in the world by the light of his truth and he will conquer it by his authority. Now, friends, I don't want to understate what Jesus is saying here. And so I want to take a moment and I want to let the weight of what he is claiming settle in among us. Because what he has said cannot be overstated. Understand the gravity of his statement. You see, Peter's confession that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God... Jesus says, is the foundation of the church. In other words, it is the foundation upon which Christianity is based. It's not a foundation. This is definitive article. In other words, it is the one, it is the only of its kind, of its likeness, and of its comparison. And he stated this foundation, this confession of faith that he makes, not because of who Peter is. This is important. As a matter of fact, church history has a massive schism in it because of this distinction. Jesus did not say, Peter, you're a wonderful man. You're a great person, and I'm going to build the church on you. No, no, no. What Jesus said is, Peter, you are right. Because God has revealed himself to you. And upon the truth of the statement that you have made, I will build my church. You say, well, how do we know that? Well, here's the the way that we know that. When Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. In other words, Simon, Peter's original name, son of Jonah. He said, you are Peter. You are pebble. Little rock, that's what Peter's name meant. And he said, but on this rock, in other words, up on this immeasurable mountain of truth that you have just confessed out of your mouth, I will build my church. You see, he's not looking at a person and saying, Peter, you are the foundation of the church. But he is saying, I am the foundation of the church based on the confession that you have made and based on the confession that you have made that will be made by every person whom God divinely reveals himself to and they place their faith in me for salvation. That's what Jesus is teaching here. Jesus is the Christ of the living God, and he alone is Lord of all. Now, I want us to look at this today and not only see what it says, but I want us to understand what it means and what it implies, but ultimately also how it applies to us. And here's what I'm going to show you today, that we need more Jesus. We need more Jesus. I want you to walk away with this big idea today that Jesus is Lord and he builds his church by one way more Jesus he is Lord and he builds his church by one way and that is more Jesus allow me if you will to expound on this personal confession of faith and the relevance of this confession not only for Peter and the disciples but for all who will put their faith in Jesus Christ through all time.
and, and identify three ways in which we need more Jesus. The first way in which we need more Jesus is this. We need more Jesus in person. We need more Jesus in person. And when I say in person, I mean this. In who he was, in what he taught, and in what he did. So the person, the teaching, and the work of Jesus Christ. You see, each gospel account, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John of the New Testament, they introduce Jesus from a different perspective. They don't tell different stories. They tell the same story from a different perspective. And in so doing, they each show the glory of the one who has come from God. For Jesus' life perfectly displayed the love of God for us. And all of Jesus' teachings perfectly set forth the light of his truth to us. You see, in the scriptures, in the first century, there is no accusation that was ever held up and held water against Jesus. And there was never a time when he was refuted and that refuting could stand before him because the Bible tells us there was no hint of falsehood in him. Many people made claims about him, but we do know this, that even the people who made claims about him knew that the claims they were making were wrong, but they made them anyway, whether through speculation or accusation, they knew it was not true, but they made it anyway because they had a subversive agenda that they were trying to promote to dethrone Jesus so that they could maintain their own sense of power among people. There was no hint, friends, no hint of falsehood in Jesus. And so Peter Take the gravity of this and thinking about how it is that we need more Jesus in person. Here is Peter with a man standing in front of him. Ask yourself this, who's, who's, who's one of the most noble, integritous, of highest character individuals you know? Who is it? Just think about that person for a moment. Think about their name. Maybe it's a couple of people. Well, if, if I had to name the person that I probably had the highest regard for, it would probably be so-and-so or so-and-so because of their character, because uh, of they just have astute integrity in their life. Would you say this of them? You are God? That, that's a big leap, isn't it? I mean, hey, whoa, whoa, no, I wouldn't say that about them, right? That's what Peter did, friends. Here Peter is standing before a man who looks like him in every way, who he's followed, he's, he's witnessed, albeit for a short time, maybe just a couple of years at this point, maybe for closer to three years at this point, but he has seen him, he's heard him, he's seen him in the darkest hours of his night and the hardest times that he's had. And you know what? He can't even recall a moment when any hint of falsehood or, or unrighteousness was even with him, let alone coming out from him. And when Peter says what he says to Jesus, he is speaking to a man about a truth about that man that makes him more than only a man. You, Peter, the man standing in front of me, are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. The gravity of that statement is immense. It's no small confession because what Peter says when he uses the term Christ is that Jesus, you are the one who has come from God to fulfill every promise of God. And because you are here, you prove 
that God is good, that he fulfills his promises every one, every time, perfectly. You see, Peter's confession was not just a compliment to Jesus. What he stated is that the man he was following, the man he had learned from, was the man that was changing his life, that he, in fact, was sent from God. It is a clear statement that he was sent from God as the Messiah that had been promised by God. Peter's confession also outlines for us the distinct confession of all of Christianity. For Jesus is the man who walked on this earth. He was come from God as the Christ of God. Friends, let me just put this in historical perspective for us. This This is the truth that Christianity teaches that no other religion ever in the history of humanity has ever even dared to claim, let alone to purport. What am I saying by that? Is is that, I mean, that's a big statement. Are you just preacherizing this for us or are you serious? No, I'm serious. If you study the teachings of every religion of humanity, you'll find this, that they claimed greatness. They never claimed God. God never came to people in religion because religion flows the other way. It's people trying to get to God. But Christianity doesn't move in that direction. Christianity is God coming to people. And that's who Jesus is. What we know of him, what we learn from him by his teachings in the scriptures, and what we receive by him makes us who we are. As we just sang in the song a while ago, Because of who you are, I know who I am. He is the all-fulfilling center of life. Jesus is God-revealed. He is the fullness of God that has come close to man, Colossians tells us. And Jesus is the one and the one alone that obliterates all religion that tells us what we must do to get to God because God has gotten to us. The person who wants to know God must personally confess faith in Jesus as the Christ. Friends, we need more Jesus made known for more people to confess faith in him. The second way is not only do we need more Jesus in person, but we need more Jesus in our confession. More Jesus in our confession. When Jesus responds to Peter, he affirms his confession and he expands what it means for not just the disciples, but for all who will place their faith in Jesus. Jesus makes Peter's confession the defining conviction of everyone who knows God. In other words, the statement of this confession is not just Peter's, but it is true of every individual person who makes it by faith in Jesus Christ, that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The confession, Jesus is Christ from God, reveals that the revelation of God produces a saving faith which has been placed in the person, the work, and the teachings of Jesus Christ. You see, getting saved isn't just something we decide to do. It includes a decision. As a matter of fact, a decisive choice must be made. Will you confess that Jesus is Lord? But friends, what Jesus teaches us here 
is that the knowledge that he is, that, that not only invades the intellect, but pervades into the will and into the affections, moving to the adorations of our life, is the presence of God coming to us and bringing to us what we could not have for ourselves so that we in this life can place that faith in Jesus Christ and receive what only he can give to us. That's what he's telling us here, and that's what he's doing. Jesus says this confession forms the catalyst of every Christian and the foundation upon which he will build his church. This is the embryo of understanding of what it means for us to be the church, Christians. For the church is defined by those people who have believed, who have demonstrated by personal confession in God's revelation. And listen to me, friends, a a personal confession of faith that Jesus is Lord does not bring Jesus into your life to satisfy your wishes, your demands, and only to meet your needs. No, Jesus is Lord. You are the Christ. The Son of the living God is a confession of your mouth and of your heart and of your mind, will, and life that orients you under the Lord of all creation. Jesus is Lord whether you ever confess it or not. The point is, will he be Lord in your life, not just over it? We need more Jesus in the confession of our life because it is only through that confession that true life comes to us. You see, Christian confession originates in the humble conviction of faith by God's revelation that Jesus has come from God as God to give life with God. Now let me make two clarifications because when we talk about confession, usually what we mean is just talking about or admitting the wrongdoing in our life, right? But you see, the word confession literally means to agree. So we have to agree with God in confession, and that's what we do. Now, it does include the admitting of our wrongdoing, but it does not begin with the admitting of our wrongdoing. When Christian confession originates, it originates with Jesus is Lord, and He becomes truth that is manifested for us to be able to see and behold the glory and the perfection of God who has come to us. Therefore, that which does not align with Jesus, that which does not agree with the truth of his word, we call that sin. Because what we have done, what we have thought, does not align with what we've confessed, that Jesus is the Christ. And so now we come to the second application of confession, or the second measure of confession, which is to agree again with God, not only that Jesus is Lord, but that this area, this action, this attitude, this demonstration, whatever it is in my life that does not align or agree with Jesus is in fact sin. And sin in that way becomes, or excuse me, confession in that way becomes that first step of repentance where we acknowledge what sin is because of what we've confessed Jesus to be and we turn in full repentance, receiving his forgiveness and his cleansing 
and embracing his life, his truth, his righteousness of who he is for us. The Christ follower's faithful confession evidences God's revelation that is taking root within us, that is purging sin from us, and that is growing godliness in all of our life because of Jesus' lordship in us. Friends, we need more Jesus in our confession. And let me say this. We often only think of confession personally and privately. But the second clarification I want to make is our public confession. So often we think as Christians about public confession or sharing Jesus with others as simply being what we ought to do, right? And boy, that word just feels like a wrench just got you and you're going to walk crooked the rest of the day, right? Oh, oh, I ought to. I mean, it's just internally that's kind of how it makes you feel when we start listing the things we ought to do, right? But I'm telling you, it's not just something we ought to do. It is something that is essential for you in your life with Christ. If you go to Acts chapter 4, you will see how the disciples responded to Jesus after he had been resurrected from the dead and was ascended into heaven. And here's what we find, that Great persecution fell upon the church, mostly at the hands of one named Saul, but many of the other religious leaders were persecuting too. And do you know how the disciples responded to their persecution? They ran and they hid. They just got together and found a dark, dank place, and they stayed in it. Absolutely, they did not. What did they do? When people threatened their lives and threatened their way of being, what did they do? Rather, they became more bold in their faith. Courage actually grew and they began to confess that Jesus is the Lord. And when people said, what do you mean? They explained what they mean by, or meant by that. And when they said, how do you know this? They explained how they knew this and what they had experienced, what they had seen and what they heard him teach. You see, friends, public confession in your life is not just about, it's not even mostly, it's not at all just what you ought to do. It's what you can't help but do. That's what they said. They said, hey, Peter and John, sticking their finger in their chest, they said, if you keep talking about Jesus, we're going to beat you and we're going to kill you. And they said, okay, everybody calm down. I'm a Christian. I can't help but talk about him because I'm so courageous and strengthened and overjoyed by him. See, that's what they kept telling them. You do what you need to do. Whatever it is, you can beat us, you can kill us, it's not going to matter. And you know what? They made good on that with the end of their lives. But they said, you will not shut us up from talking about Jesus. Not because we ought to, but because we can't not talk about him. And it tells us that every time their public witness was faithfully given, their strength to obey, their courage to talk again about him and their joy, they just became more giddy, more happy, more overjoyed with the fullness of God in their life through Jesus Christ because of that. Friends, I'm telling you, public confession and sharing Jesus with other people at every opportunity is not what you ought to do. It's what you can't stop doing. And what you receive from that is the evidence of the truth of what you're sharing because of that. I want to encourage you in that. We need more Jesus in our confession. The third way we need more Jesus is as our foundation. Jesus' explanation to his disciples reveals the importance of more Jesus for the whole church. 
He tells us this, not only for individual Christians, but friends, it's for the body, the congregation, the church itself. And he's working in the world, God is, to reveal, that, to reveal the Father for saving faith in all who will believe and confess him. You see, Jesus is Lord is the distinguishing confession of every Christian, and it establishes Jesus as the foundation for his church. Now, this word for foundation here really has two parts in its meaning. The first is what you think of in the foundation, that he's what gets built on. You know, the foundation kind of defines the footprint for what that building is going to be, how big it's going to be, and you might take it up, but at the end of the day, you shouldn't build outside of the foundation because that's a really bad part of the building if you do, and that's bad for the whole building if you do, right? Jesus is our foundation, but he's not only the foundation, he is also the cornerstone. The scriptures teach that Jesus is our foundation and our cornerstone. He's not only everything that our Christian faith is built upon, but he is the one that holds it all together. You know what the cornerstone is, don't you? In, in ancient architecture, as they would build ar uh, arches or the design of the building, the last stone to be inserted was, was known as the cornerstone, and it was always placed in strategic position because by its presence, everything else stayed in its rightful place and I'm gonna tell you what when Jesus is present in your life he's the only one that can hold it all together even when it feels like it's all falling apart Jesus the person the teaching and the work of him forms the cumulative body of teaching for the church but it also hear me forms the way in which or the manner of interpretation for how we understand all of the scriptures that means this book is Jesus we don't worship it, but through it, we worship him. Speaking of our doctrine or our teaching, Paul tells the, first, Paul tells the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, for our application, if there is someone preaching under the auspices of Christianity and Jesus isn't the central theme and Savior and hero of their sermon, Paul says this, you shouldn't have anything to do with them. He's the foundation. Second, he says this in Ephesians chapter 2 when he describes Christians as God's household. He says that we are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. In other words, the teachings. And Christ Jesus himself is the cornerstone. God's revelation in Jesus, as recorded in the Bible, forms who we know Jesus to be, what he did for us on the cross, and where he's enthroned today, ruling and reigning as Lord. Listen, let me just clarify it real briefly for you. His name is Jesus. He is God. He came from God to become man as the son of the living God. And the Bible tells us that he was, hear me, like us in every way. That's how we know there was a man standing in front of Peter when Peter responded to him. But there's a big word that follows that, yet he was without sin. The Bible tells us that he taught with authority the truths of God and performed with great power the work of God on earth. He was the perfect spotless lamb as a sacrifice for our sin. And because of that, he willingly laid down his life to die, the Bible says, once 
for all to become the Christ, the fulfillment of God's promise of salvation. He was resurrected from the tomb to defeat sin, to defeat Satan, to defeat the grave, and to defeat death. And from there he ascended into heaven where he now lives, rules, and reigns as Lord of all. Jesus is the church's one foundation on which all things are established. And he is the cornerstone by which all things are held together. And he says this, I will build my church. I will build my church. This is the historical confession of Christianity. Beautifully and poetically displayed in the hymns. I want to read a hymn called The Church's One Foundation. Just a couple of the verses for you. Verse 1 says, The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ her Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her. And for her life, he died. Friends, we didn't create this. We didn't think this up. This has been the confession of the ages. And when you confess faith in Jesus Christ as the foundation and the cornerstone, as Lord of your life, you are joining with the multitudes through the ages that have made this confession, that wear the name of Jesus Christ, that are the church. And it is the church that Jesus promises he will build. Elect from every nation, yet one or all the earth. Her charter of salvation, one Lord, one faith, one birth. One holy name she blesses, partakes one holy food. And to one hope she presses with every grace endued. Friends, we need more Jesus as the foundation and as the cornerstone not only of our life but of this church so his glory is displayed to the world. And friends, this confession is far more than just an intellectually driven or emotionally motivated statement. It is neither of one of those. And if it is one of those, it's not what Jesus is talking about here. Surely it includes those, but it's not culminated only in those. For our confession states what we believe with our whole life about Jesus and who we are because of who he is and what he said and what he has done for us. And our confession that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. It is our battle cry in this earth as we move forward to pervade darkness where brokenness remains and where darkness rules and where addiction has enslaved and bound people. We don't come because we're good or because we're great, but we come in the name of Jesus because he is. Because he is Lord. And the power and the beauty and the wonder of his name knows no limits on the boundaries with which he can shatter the darkness that remains in your life with the light of his truth and of his glory. More Jesus is every Christian's and every church's confession that serves that our mantra of forward advancement that we might live so that the kingdom of God becomes an ever-increasing, ever-pervaded, and ever-expanding reality in the world through Jesus at work in my life. Jesus is Lord and he builds his church by one way. Would you please say this with me? More Jesus. As the worship team returns, 
I'm going to start a series. Uh, actually, I just kind of did. And I'm going to talk about what more Jesus and his building us as a church looks like. But let me tell you what this mantra says for us as a church and what you're going to hear us repeat over and over to remind you. It means this. Number one, it means we want more Jesus to be made known so that more people can come to saving faith in him and know what it means to have a personal relationship with God. We want to see more Jesus pervade, invade, and conquer the darkness that remains in the hearts of those who have yet to believe. We want to see more Jesus in every Christ follower that's a part of this church. It is the will, the intention, and the work of God that you be transformed more and more into His image, Christian. And it is the labor of this church, the reason we exist, to teach, to train, to encourage, to equip in every way you to become more like Jesus. We want to see more Jesus in the life of every Christ follower among us. And when these two things take hold of us, we will see more Jesus as the defining characteristic and the distinguishing mark placed on us as a church that our corporate witness in this city, in this state, and in this world will be this. Those people love Jesus and there just seems to be more of him all over them. Will you pray with me? As the worship team leads us, would you consider this one question and would you press yourself to answer it today? Who do you believe Jesus really is?